Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. Very special to us. Hebrews eleven thirty nine. If you got it, say Amen. If you're lying on the projector screen, say Amen. Hebrews eleven thirty nine. And these all. Somebody say all. These all, he's talking about the heroes of faith. These all having obtained a good report through faith, receive not the promise. Notice that word good. Verse 40 says, God having provided some better thing. Somebody say a better thing. Verse 39 said that they obtain a good report. But now he's saying that God has something better for us that they without us should not be made perfect. The people mentioned here in this text had a good experience, but the writer of Hebrews is saying that God has something better for us today. How many of you believe that, that God has something better in store for you and your family? It just gets better in God and greater in God. And then we'll go to John chapter five, verse two, and I'll have you... Be seated. John chapter 5, verse 2 says this. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting. Somebody say waiting. Waiting for the moving of the water. Here's why. For verse 4 says, an angel went down at a certain season. It was a certain season. He had to wait for a certain time. But the angel would go down in a certain season into the pool and trouble the waters. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the waters stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. Somebody say that's a long time. But when Jesus, when Jesus saw him, I've come to tell somebody in this house this morning that Jesus has seen you. He knows who you are. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he'd been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, will you be made whole? The impotent man said, sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, rise, take up your bed, and walk. I want to point out the fact that in verse 7 that the man who had been waiting for a healing for 38 years was so focused on the good thing, so focused on what the angel was doing, and waiting for the season that he almost missed the better thing that had just walked by his sick bed. I've come to preach to somebody today that there is a better thing in store for you, that God has greater in mind for you. Come on, somebody, if you believe that this morning, come on. He said, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to broaden your horizons. Come on. I feel the Lord already moving here today. If you're going to receive that word today, why don't you just lift your hands up and pray one more time before we're seated. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit that is already so thick and rich in this room. God, 
I pray that you would move on us today. I pray you anoint your sheep to hear your words today. I pray you anoint the vessel of clay, God, and help us to go after and seek after the greater and the better things that you have in store for this church. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. Come on, say it like you mean it. In Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated. Better things. Better things. Someone once said it like this. They said that good is the enemy of better. In other words, if we want the better things of life, then we must be willing to abandon the good things of life so that we can go out and obtain that which is better in life. And it's true, it's true that the progress of humanity and the advancement of technology has always come about and it's always evolved because there were people that decided that good is no longer good enough. And that's the reason why you didn't use a horse and buggy to get to church today. That's the reason why some of you slipped in that Ford or that Chevrolet. I don't want to cause any controversy here. So are your Tesla. That's why some of you slipped into that nice vehicle today and hopefully you turned on the heat and hopefully it worked. But the reason why you enjoyed that nice luxury and that nice feature is because somebody somewhere along the way said that a horse and carriage is getting us by, but I think we can improve on the situation. Somebody say amen. And that's why we enjoy things like the luxury of air conditioning system. My dad said it well once when he said, if any man ought to get through the pearly gates without being born again, he said it ought to be the man who invented air conditioning. And if you never lived in the South, you don't know what I'm talking about. But if you've ever been in the South, wave your hand at me and say, thank God. Come on. I see some witnesses in this house. Thank God for air conditioning. Thank God for progression. Thank God that there were people who looked at things and said, even though it isn't broken, we should still fix it. Thank goodness there were people who decided that good was no longer good enough. And so that's why at some point in our cell phone technology journey, somebody say it's a journey. It is a journey. That's why some of us in our cell phone technology journey, we had to forsake and leave behind our trusty Motorola bag phone. Oh, come on. Let's just do a poll really quick. If you've ever had a bag phone, just raise your hand. One, two. How many of you still use that bag phone? If you're here today and you use a bag phone, I salute you. God bless you. I remember those bag phones. It was like a suitcase, Brother Gleason. You don't remember those, though. You're too young to remember that. But you remember those suitcases that, that they would carry around and they would call it the bag phone. And, and for most of us in this house, we moved on from the bag phone, didn't we? And we went to the then new, the then new Nokia cell phone. Anybody remember those? You could drop them out of an airplane going 30,000 feet and just, when you land, pick it up and answer and say hello. Anybody remember the, uh, the, the snake game on there? Oh, man. And, and then the, the, the quick key, what do they call it? The technology key where you just short text. See, teenagers don't know about the struggle. The struggle was real. And then we left behind the Nokia cell phone and we went to, oh, man, the flip phone. 
Brother Justin, I remember when you and I were at Gateway, if you had a flip phone, you, oh, you were cool. You were another level. I, I didn't have a flip phone, so I had a Nokia, so I'd just walk around, flip it. Sorry, bad joke. But I remember we had the flip phone, and then they brought out the Motorola Razor. Anybody remember those? They were so thin and sleek, and wow. Man, if you had a Motorola Razor, wow. It was, man. And if you were dating a girl and, and things got really serious, man, if she had a Motorola Razor and you had a Motorola Razor, you could just swap out the battery packs on the back of the phone, and boy, it was, it was you were serious. And then we went on from the Motorola Razor to the BlackBerry. Anybody have ever owned a BlackBerry? Man, I had that. The full QWERTY keyboard with the trackpad. It wasn't even touchscreen. It had the trackpad, but bro, we were next level. You just sit there and act like you were emailing people just so you would look important. And you had, uh, you had at that time the Palm Trio with a stylus that was like a seven foot staff you pull out and write on the... See, teenagers don't know the struggle was real. And we continue progressing and evolving until now we're using smartphones that are named after fruit and robots. But in order to get to where we are today, where you're hopefully using new technology, to get to where we are today, somebody had to make the decision to abandon that which was good because they realized something was better ahead of them. And I've just come to say today, that the same principle applies in our walk with God. That if you want something better, there is something better out there. There was somebody who decided that there's better technology, so they went out there and got it. And if you believe that God has something better for you today, you can stand up and you can go out and you can get something better from God today. Because God has always got something greater and grander in store for us. So if we want what is better in our walk with God, if we want what is better in the kingdom of God, we've got to decide that good is no longer good enough, that we're no longer going to settle for that which is good or what has got us by up to this point, but we've got to make up our mind that we want the better things. And while it may be true this morning that good things do come to those who wait for it, it's also true that better things will come to those who decide to go out and get them. And if we no longer want to settle by the pool of Bethesda or settle for the good things, I've come to tell somebody this morning that the better thing has come to church this morning. The better thing being Jesus Christ. The better thing being the Holy Ghost this morning. Oh, come on, if that's you this morning, why don't you put your hands together if you're able and say, I've come to church to get something greater from God. I didn't come to just show up and maybe wave my hand a little bit, but I came to church because I need a touch from God. I need a revival in my family. I need a revival in my life, and I want the better things. I want the better things. See, it doesn't matter if you've been on this journey for 50 years. It doesn't matter if you've been on this journey for five years. It doesn't matter if you've been on this journey for five minutes. Wherever you are in your journey and your walk with God, he has something greater he wants to do for you today. He's got a greater blessing for your family. He's got a deeper anointing for your ministry. 
He's got a broader reach for your Bible study and your discipleship group. He's getting ready to expand your ministry. He's getting ready to expand your calling. Anybody believe that? He's getting ready to go deeper. Or have you go deeper into deeper waters? It reminds me of what the prophet said. He said, he brought me to waters and he had me kind of step in and I'm paraphrasing a little bit. He said, it was, it was ankle deep water and it was probably cold if you're in the Midwest this time of year. And he said, then I went out in knee deep waters. And he said, and finally I got out in waist deep waters. And he said, until finally I got out in waters, yea, to, you, you could swim in those waters. And, and I feel like that's what God is beginning to speak to us in this room is no matter where you are, you may have an ankle deep experience in God, but if that's you, honey, it's time to go a little bit deeper and get a knee deep experience. And maybe if you have a knee deep experience, maybe God's trying to pull you back out into the waist deep. And if you've been there for a while, I want to tell you that God's got waters for yay, waters for you to swim in this morning. If, you, if you're here today and on your journey, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God bless you. You've expressed faith. And maybe you've repented of your sins. God bless you. You're progressing in God. But maybe you haven't been baptized yet in his name, the name above every name. I've come to tell you there's another step to this. Why don't you just go deeper and see what it feels like to have the name of Jesus applied to your life through baptism. There's no other name that we must be saved by. But if you've been baptized and you've been hearing a lot about the gift of the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit filling your life, but you've never received that experience, I think I'm in agreement to say that there's some people in this house to say that God still fills people with his spirit. God still fills people with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And if you've never received the promise of the Father, guess what? You can walk out of here today saying, God took me deeper. God showed me greater. God gave me better. I just come to tell you that God has something better in store for every one of us today. Oh. That's, that's, Brother Gleason, that's what I love about the kingdom of God is, is the same zeal and the same energy that you can find upstairs in the vindicated student ministry, the youth room. You can come down on Sunday morning and you can get among some of the uh, more seasoned crowd. Let's say it that way. But the same zeal and same energy that you find upstairs, you can find down here. Why? Because he's a life-giving spirit. And age cannot regulate the flow of the spirit. There's just something that happens when you have the rivers of living water begin to flow out of you. So I can worship beside this young man who may be 15 years old and feel the power of God. I've got to be careful here, but I can find a seasoned saint of God, an elder in the house, and, and I might can worship beside her and feel the same thing. Why? Because the rivers of living water is no respecter of person. It's no respecter of age. It's just flowing this morning, and it gets better and it gets richer. I wonder if I got an elder in the house that'll wave your hand at me right now and say, yeah, it's gotten better through the years. I thought it was good on year one. I thought it was good on year five, but here I am 15, 20, 25 years later, and it just gets better as the days Ah, come on, somebody. We ought to take a moment and rejoice that it just gets sweeter. He just gets sweeter as the years go, as the decades go by. It just gets better and better and better.
Oh, come on, let's take just a few moments. I feel, I feel a testimony in this house. I feel a word of somebody's testimony right now. Why don't you just throw your head back right now and say, yeah, he's been faithful. I was young, but now I'm old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And I've never seen his seed begging bread. Oh, it gives me hope, Brother Gleason. Come on, somebody. Why don't you just draw with joy from the wells of salvation and drink from the rivers of living water one more time this morning. The, the, the church is nothing. The church is nothing like you will find on planet Earth. You know why? I remember when I was 16 years old, my dad sat, sat me down and said, Michael, you got to find a, a trade. I said, video games aren't a trade? I said, no, Michael, you got to find a good trade. got to find something you make a living in this world with. I said, well, Dad, you're a machinist. Dad's a retired machinist, CNC operator. I said, I think I want to be a machinist. And my dad beamed with pride. I, I'm afraid I disappointed him. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't a good machinist, okay? Let's just put it that way. But you know, one thing I noticed walking in that machine shop my summer break when I was 16 years old, and I would walk by some youthful guys over here that were just blowing stuff up and, you know, drilling on things and all this excitement and energy. But as you walk through the machine shop, you get to the back of the machine shop and you'd have these older guys. And what did I say? Season? They're seasoned guys. And, and the, the life and the joy just wasn't there about machining anymore. This guy was bent over his machine and his hands were gnarled and he was over there saying words that I would never repeat and he's just having a difficult time and he's tired of the boss and he's tired of the man and he's tired of the system and it just is just gotten gotten worse as you progress to, into the machine shop but you know what I don't find that in the kingdom of God I don't find that I find elders who are saying my goodness my goodness he's been good to me I find you exuberant worship uh, over here but as I progress older into the kingdom of God I still find the same zeal and excitement that was there when I came through the doors uh, now that I'm 38 years old I still see the goodness of God in the land of the living and I still see, still see people excited about living for God and enjoying church and enjoying what God is doing this is the hope of the world right here. This is it. You're in it. Not this building necessarily, but you're in the called out body of believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're in the church of the living God. And this is the best house. And this is the best place. You're not going to find it out these doors. But what you're looking for, the answer, the peace, the wholeness of your soul, it's in this house this morning. Somebody say amen. amen. And so that's why... In Philippians 3.13, that Paul speaks specifically about leaving behind some things. Paul said in Philippians 3.13, he said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, I have not yet arrived. 
How many of you know somebody who they think they've arrived? No hands. All right. It's all right. This is a revival church. But I, I, I've, I've met a few people who they thought they had apprehended. My goodness, if anybody could say that I've arrived, it would have been the Apostle Paul called up into the upper heavens and seen miracles and signs and wonders. But yet we have Paul here saying that I have not yet apprehended. Paul, what do you mean? You've seen great things. You, you've experienced great revival. You, you've seen thousands filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Uh, you're a living missionary and apostle of the New Testament. But he said, I have not yet arrived. Why? Because we say, we find him saying that I will forget those things which are behind me and I will reach forth unto those things which are before. See, apprehending requires you leaving behind some things and all in the same motion reaching forward to get some things. Uh, can I just say it like this that Paul is saying that if you want what God has in your future, somewhere along the way you got to let go of your past. If it's behind you, then let go of it, Paul. If it's behind you, if it's your past, stop looking down it and begin to look forward where God planted your eyes so you can progress in your calling and you can progress in the kingdom of God. I count not myself to have apprehended, but I forget. I forget. Paul, really? Can you forget? No, he's not talking about just having a mind wipe, but that word means to neglect, to no longer care for to lose out of one's mind. In other words, to just give it over to oblivion and open your hands and say, okay, Lord, oh my goodness. Okay, Lord, what's next? Some of you are right there right now that your hands have been filled with all type of things and it got you to the house of the Lord and it got you this far in your journey. But now God is asking some of you to empty your hands right now and just release whatever you've been carrying. Why, Brother Thomas? Because God can't fill your hands with the new thing as long as you're holding on to the old thing. But if you'll just dump off, if, if you'll forget, if you'll give over to oblivion this morning and you will open your hands, oh my goodness, and open your life and open your spirit this morning, I promise you that God has something better for you. Verse 14, he said, but, but I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I, I, I got to press sometimes. I've got to press sometimes to get what God has for me. Uh, everybody comes to that pivotal moment in their walk with God, their discipleship journey, where they got to decide that is this, is this where I'm going to stop? Read Acts 19, the disciples of John the Baptist. Have you received since you believe? Well, we were baptized by John, but we were never baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. It was a good thing that John the Baptist had revealed, but they had to come to the point where they said, okay, I, I know that this got me this far, but I believe God has something more he wants to do in my life. I, I believe there's more. Anybody believe that there's more revelations of the truth of God and his word and, and that the more you read it, the more you find. Uh, and so there comes a time where you just got to press toward what God has put in front of you. 
Am I speaking to anybody this morning truth that God has already put something in front of you and you've been looking at it for a while and you've been maybe, you're like me, sometimes you, you overanalyze and you have analysis paralysis. But if God's put it in front of you, he didn't put it there to keep it out of your reach. God doesn't wave carrots on a stick in front of his people. If God said, I want to do this, or I'm going to let you see this, or I'm going to speak this into your ministry, God is going to allow you to grab hold of it and obtain it. Because if God said it, then it's possible. Come on, if God's word declared it, then it shall be so. I wonder if there's anybody here that still believes the word of the Lord in your life. Not my life, but your life. If God gave you that promise, oh my goodness, if God spoke it, if God said it, if God said a hundred soul revival in our youth group, if God said multiplication, if God said we're going to reach this city, if God said we're going to expand this, oh, Come on, if God said he'll save my child. Come on, if God said he'd give me a deeper experience. Come on, if God said he would liberate me from addictions. And God said he would set me free. Then so be it unto me according to his word. Come on, somebody. Press toward it. Press toward it this morning. Oh, come on. For about five seconds, let's just clap our hands to the Lord. Ah, I feel there's a press in this house right now. I feel like there's somebody pressing forward in this house right now. Ah. Ah. That's so cool. Oh, my goodness. Hmm. She had to press through the crowd. But she got what she needed from the master's hymn. We have to press. And then Paul later, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he writes again and he says, Now the Lord is that spirit, in verse 17. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's liberty to grow, he is saying. There's liberty to progress. There's liberty to expand in the spirit. But I love it also that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That the spirit of the Lord can create its own context. And its own spiritual ecosystem. And its own spiritual environment where the spirit of the Lord is. There's liberty. That's why we felt something in this house a few minutes ago when vertical praise was taking us vertical in our worship and taking us vertical in our praise. Something began to sweep in this house. What was it? That was the spirit of the Lord. Now, the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. There's freedom. But then he says it like this. He said, we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed. See, you you can't progress in God unless you're willing to change and let him change you. We're changed into the same image from what? What is that? Glory to glory. From glory to glory. In other words, one progressive position of glory to the next progressive position of glory. You might say it like this, from one mountaintop experience to the next mountaintop experience. Because God's never called us to camp out on only one mountain alone. He's never called us to stay where we are. But just when we get really comfortable, that's when the Lord says, Michael, do you see that mountaintop over there? And I say, 
yeah, that one, Lord, I, I see it. The one with great restaurants. And, and yeah, Jack Stat Barbecue right there. I see it, Lord. Michael, that's where I want to take you. All right, Lord, let's go. But then the Lord takes a detour, doesn't he? And he begins to descend the mountain that I'm standing on and says, okay, you've got to undergo change. You've got to undergo growth. You've got to shed some things. David said it like this. Sometimes I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Why am I going through the valley, Lord? See, we sometimes forget the word of the Lord that he gave us on that mountaintop over there. And we get lost in the mix and get disoriented. But I want to tell you this morning, if you're walking through a valley wondering what's going on, I want to take you back to that moment on that other mountaintop where he gave you a word and said, I'm going to take you from this glorious spot to that glorious spot. I'm going to take you from this place, this location, and put you in that glorious destination. But if you're down in the valley this morning and you're you're wondering what God is doing, I just want to tell you, he's taking you through this journey so you can begin to look up and see the awe and the magnificent of the mountain. Because there's something about when you've gone through the valley of the shadow of death, when you've been at the lowest point of your life, when you finally begin to ascend again and you stand on top of that mountain and you plant your feet and you look back over what you just came through, you know it was the Lord who put you on top of that mountain. You know it was the Lord who took you through that valley experience. You knew it was the Lord who planted you here. Continue to expand from one glorious experience to the next. And then right before we conclude this morning, there's a sobering message that we find in the narrative of the children of Israel. How God took them out of Egypt and he began to lead them to the promised land. And and when God began to lead them out of their bondage, he didn't do it behind the scenes. He didn't do it lightly. He did it in an incredible manner. The Bible says that he parted the Red Seas. He turned bitter waters sweet. He gave them manna and quell from heaven. Can you imagine getting up in the morning and there's a Chick-fil-A biscuit right on your doorstep? Yea, Lord, I receive that. Yea, Lord, I receive that. Can you imagine everything that you needed being provided to you? But the whole point was that Israel would not just become focused on the provision, but the whole point was that they would continue to the promised land. But you, you know the story. They rejected the promised land. They chose to listen to the voices of the spies. I tell you, I wonder sometimes what kind of prayer life did those spies even have? What kind of altar did they have anyway? What kind of experience with God did they have anyway? But Israel allowed 10 negative reports to keep them locked out of the promise for 40 years. Forty years they wandered in a wilderness trying to get directions from Siri, making left-hand turn after left-hand turn after left-hand turn. But here's the great thing about this is that God is a merciful God, isn't he? That the whole time they're wandering in their wilderness, the Bible says that God provided for them. Nehemiah 9, 21 says, Yea, 40 years did thou sustain them in the wilderness so that they lacked nothing, their clothes waxed not old, and their feet swelled not. Some scholars say that this meant that their clothes actually grew 
with them. Can you imagine that feature around Thanksgiving time? Praise God. That, that I would see you this morning and then 40 years from now, you're still wearing the same suit, the same tie. That'd be weird, but it looks brand new. That's the miracles that God did in Israel's journey. He provided for them, but they were outside of the promise of God. Israel made the mistake of settling for the provisions of God and missing the promises of God. And so that's why Jesus said in John 6, 49, a very sobering message when he said, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness. Your fathers did live on the provision in the wilderness. He said, but they are dead. In other words, you can die with a belly full of provision and still be outside of the promises of God. God has called us not to wander in a wilderness for 40 years. God has called us not to wait for a certain season or a certain time, but I feel that God is calling us to leave behind provision and say, okay, God, there is a promised land and there is an expected end that you have for me and my life and my family and my church. And that's why in the 13 chapters of Hebrews, the writer is telling us over and over and over, there's something better. There's something better. Having provided something better for us, he's telling us don't stop at good. Go for better, deeper experiences, greater anointings, and a broad harvest. In our text, John 5 told us the story about a man who was at the pool of Bethesda. Bethesda means house of mercy, most scholarship will tell you. Bethesda means the house of mercy. Somebody say mercy. Mercy's good, isn't it? It's wonderful. There was a man there who had spent 38 years on the porches of Bethesda in the house of mercy, waiting for a touch from God. We don't know his name, but we know that he had a routine because this man had been there for 38 years and it says that he had his bed and he had his routine and he had his focus and he had a certain expectancy because the Bible says that once a season, an angel of the Lord would come down and do a good work and trouble the waters. Can you imagine this morning if we set up a pool down here in the front, kitty pool, whatever. Let's do an in-ground pool. I don't know. Set, that, set up a pool here and said, all right, when we stir the waters, it will become a fountain of youth. Can you imagine? Or if we said, okay, when we stir the waters, whatever ailment you have, if you are the first in the water, you're going to be healed. Can you imagine the rush for the front of this house that would happen? This is how he lived in the house of mercy, though. The Bible says that there was a great multitude of people with needs waiting for the moving of the water. In other words, Bethesda had become a waiting room for the sick who were waiting for the angel to do a good thing and stir the waters. If you were the first person in the waters, then you would be healed. It was very strict, though. One person, once a season, and you had to be the first person in the water if you wanted to be healed. 
The people of Bethesda, the house of mercy that day, they thought that this was as good as it gets. I said, my goodness, isn't this wonderful that we wait and we wait and we wait and finally an angel shows up and if you can fight through the crowd and get in the water, then your need would be met. They thought that this was the best that it could be. Mercy was a good thing. Bethesda was a good thing. But can I tell you that they needed a greater work of grace in their life. They needed to encounter the power and the almighty hand of Jesus Christ. You see, we've got to have mercy. We, we got to have mercy. Aren't you thankful for mercy? I would not be here today if not for the mercy and the goodness of God. But, but, but I can't just stop at mercy. I need the grace of God working in my life. I've got to have the spirit of grace, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost working in my world if I want to get what God has for me. See, they were relying on mercy because the law had provided mercy. The Old Testament law was all about the mercy seat and the horns of mercy. But John wrote that there was something greater on the scene because he wrote that Jesus came to bring grace and truth. John 1.17, for the law was given by Moses. But what? Mercy? No, it was already there. But what came with Jesus Christ? Grace and truth. In other words, the power and the ability to do what you know you should do is found through the work of grace. Mercy was at Bethesda that day, but something better, Jesus Christ, was needed. And so the verse says in verse 6 that Jesus saw this man who had been lying a long time, and he walks up to him and says, will you be made whole? Do you want to just stop at mercy? Or do you want the greater work of grace in your world today? And the Bible says the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. There's the problem. He was still looking at his fellow human being to give him the answer to his problem. As long as you and I are just looking around us at what the world can give us and at what the humankind and human race can give us, we're going to be disappointed and we're going to be disabled in our walk with God. But if you'll begin to look up at who has walked by your bed this morning, if you'll begin to look at the who has caused the shadow to come over your bed this morning, I'm telling you that there's something great in this house this morning. But that man was so focused on the good thing, he almost missed the better thing. But I feel like there's some people in this house, you've already began to look up just a few moments ago in worship. You've already begun to look up because you realize I've been here for a while. I've been here for a long time, but there's something great that has just come across my path. It's a good thing the angel was doing, but the angel could only heal one person at a time. But there was a man who had just walked on the porches of Bethesda that could heal everybody at one time. It was a good thing that the angel was doing, but the writer of Hebrews said that he is better than the angels. Jesus, the best thing that ever walked the porches of Bethesda was there, and he was there to do a work. And that man didn't have to wait another moment. He didn't have to wait another year because those 38 years were coming to a close. There was the closing of one chapter, 
and the beginning I feel in the Holy Ghost right now. There was the closing of one chapter and the beginning of another. And that's where some of us are here today. Can I say it like this? I feel like as a church, we might be right there. We're closing the chapter here and God is opening up a fresh new chapter of growth, of revival, of evangelism and discipleship. Anybody feel that happening in your spirit already? Ah, come on, if that's you, why don't you put your hands together? If you feel a transition is happening, we're in between right now. Oh, he was in between the house of mercy and receiving the grace and the healing touch of Jesus. And Jesus, instead of arguing with his humanity and his carnal reasoning, he just says unto him, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Read that again. A man who could not walk, verse 8, Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Jesus, have you not noticed my condition? Have you not noticed my situation? Yes. Rise, because I'm here. Rise, because I'm in the house. Jesus, don't you know how long I've been fighting? Yeah, I I see it. Rise and take up your bed and walk. Jesus asked that man to do something he had never done before, to receive something he had never received before. But the word of the Lord was in his ears. And when you have heard the word of the Lord saying, oh my goodness, I feel the Holy Ghost. Anybody feel that right now? Rise and take up your bed and walk. I wonder, Brother Gleason, how it looked. I don't know. I could keep fighting for the pool. I mean, it does happen every now and then. But somewhere he gathered himself up and he rose and he took up his bed and he walked and he walked around the good thing because he found the better thing. And the better thing had changed his world. Come on, let's stand our feet right now if you're able. Oh my goodness, I feel the power of the Lord here today. I wonder if we could just stretch our hands and our hearts and lift our prayers to him. Come on, that's it. Let's just begin to pray right now. Come on, make no mistake. This is a house of mercy. But this is also a house of miracles, signs, and wonders. Hallelujah. Come on, this is a house of greater. Ah. Come on, just a few moments. Let's tarry in his presence. Come on, the Lord is doing something in our midst right now. The Lord is calling some of you forth to rise. Come on, some of, some of you guys have been speaking to you for a while on this. Come on, some of you, you've been reading the word of God and you've been finding that there's more to your experience. You know there's more. Hallelujah. Come on, that's it. Just continue praying to the Lord. 
Hallelujah. Come on, he still has plans for you. He told Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you. Plans to further you. Plans to heal you. Plans to restore you. I want to open the altar area for a time of prayer before we all go home. If you're in this house and you have not yet looked up to see the Master standing over your situation, I'm grieved in my spirit because sometimes I read in Scripture where He was there to do a work. But they wouldn't recognize it. That's not this house. I know that. But maybe you're an individual, one or two, that you haven't yet looked up. God's reaching for you right now. God's saying, why don't you join this church to go higher? Why don't you progress with this church to reach the city? Come on, maybe you're here today and you've been waiting for 38 years. Oh. Come on, there's a burden in this house to pray right now. You've been looking and wondering and praying and sowing and waiting for the reaping of the harvest. But I've come to tell you that you gotta rise. Brother Thomas, I've been praying for a long time. I've been waiting for a long time, but maybe this is your Sunday. Maybe this is your moment to rise, take up your bed, and walk in newness of life. Come on, as they prepare to sing, every eye closed, every hand lifted if you're able. Come on, I feel like maybe some angels are stepping aside right now because they recognize Jesus Christ is in this house. Ah, so tololomote. Come on, that's it. Can you just lift your voice and begin to pray? Come on, there's some deep waters here right now. Come on, you and your prayers right now. You and God right now. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.